Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland and CAO Tracy Vaughn recently returned from a trip to India. The mayor participated in a panel at the U-20 conference. It is a gathering of mayors from around the world. They set priorities about issues at the municipal level and pass them on to the G20 global leaders for action. It is a pretty prestigious event, since only three mayors are chosen from across Canada. For some, there is a basic question. What benefit does this trip have for residents in Coburg and Northumberland County? On today's show, you will hear Cleveland answer that and many other questions about the trip, including the cost and who pays. As a bonus, he will also explain the cost of a number of courses he has recently taken as well. The mayor will make his case for initiatives raising the international profile of the town. I'm delighted to have with me today Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland, who just recently returned from India. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you so much, Robert. Always happy to be here and uh, to chat with you. How was your trip? Ah, incredible. Uh, what an opportunity. Um, it's been about a week and a half, I guess, two weeks since I've been back. And it's just, it sort of sunk in. Uh, what an incredible opportunity it was. It was a whirlwind of an adventure there. Uh, it was a jam-packed few days. And so, yeah, incredible. I, I, I can't say, uh, speak highly enough of it. What impressed you the most? I mean, to be honest, it's Gift City. Uh I mean, I guess it's two things. One, the, the the event that India has put on, the U20 leading up to the G20, I, I've never been part of such a, uh, a massive organized event before as this. So to be part and parcel of the event was incredibly impressive. The, the, the details, the police presences, the way they had the roads closed at the right time, like just the the number of things that had to be planned to go into this was was incredible. And then the other thing that is uh, really incredible was Gift City. So we got to do a tour of Gift City in uh, the province. And what it is, it's the first greenfield development that's scheduled to be a completely zero waste city. So I I'd say those two uh, parts of it were just awe-inspiring. For people who may not appreciate or fully understand, what is the U-20 and why was it significant? Oh, perfect. Yeah, that's a great sort of intro question. I mean, and the U20 is for the G20 nations of urban cities. So uh, each G20 nation uh, sends one, two or three cities, maybe four uh, to the U20. And usually it represents a larger municipality within the country, a medium sized municipality within the country, and then a smaller uh, city within the municipality. The whole purpose of the U-20 is to endorse the white papers. And the white papers are basically the issues that the urban leaders 
want the federal leaders to deal with or to talk about at the G20. And so we, uh, there's six sort of strategic goals that came out of the U20 through the different meetings and the roundtable conversations. And all of those are then presented in a very sort of uh, well put together book that then leads the talks at the G20 to the federal leaders. It's a, a way of the cities coming together and, and saying, hey, this is what is affecting all of us. This is what's priority to the cities. And hey, world leaders, hey, country leaders, this is what we want you to start talking about with us. And where did it take place? Oh, uh, Ahmedabad in uh, the province. I always have trouble with the pronunciation. Uh, Gujarat province. So uh, Ahmedabad is a city of about 8 million in the province of uh, Gujarat. And and that province is actually where the uh, current prime minister of India is originally from. Uh, It explains sort of gift city as well when we talk about that, because this isn't just a four or five year plan since Mr. Modi has been in the the office. This is a plan that he started as the commissioner when he was the uh, of the in charge of the whole province and now has continued that work as the federal leader. Now, for those of us who skipped geography class for India, can you explain maybe where it is in relation, say, to Delhi, somewhere where we might be familiar with? Basically, central India. It's not in the the east, the west, the south. So, yeah, you're looking at about central province. Uh, Again, it's it's a medium-sized city for India, which is crazy when you hear 8 million people. Um, But it, it is sort of on the outskirts, it's not in one of the major uh, regions of India, but uh, it is in a what's considered a dry province. Um, it is a more, I would say, um, conservative India than maybe some of the other India, especially when you compare it to like Goa or, or Delhi or anything like that. Tell us about this city that you toured, because I know that was a, a highlight for the trip. And maybe you can explain a little bit more why it was significant to go there in relationship to what was going on at the conference. For sure. So it's called uh, Gujarat International Finance Tech City or GIFT. And it's a central business district. But more importantly, it's a preeminent futuristic city. It's something that has been basically constructed from the ground up in the last few years. The reason it was incredibly important or, or, or revolutionary is their planning, their sustainability planning, their forward thinking. It's a project that at the time is 30 or 40 years ahead of its time. And it's impressive because when you look at India and when we talk about sustainability, when we talk about pollution, we talk about garbage issues, things that are affecting all cities around the world, India is at the forefront of some of the biggest environmental concerns, some of the biggest problems. Um, And so what's incredible is watching India really take that big leap forward and those big steps to address sustainability, garbage, environmentalism. And they're actually, in a lot of ways, starting to surpass nations like Canada because they're putting such resources, such intention behind their actions. And Gift City is a, is a prime example of that. Why was it important for Coburg to attend? Why is it important for Coburg to attend? I mean, there are a number of very clear reasons. I think we should maybe stick to two of them. And I think the sort of the, the two most important reasons for Coburg to attend, one is the learning opportunities and strategic focus. Um, it was a perspective builder. And what I mean by that is we were invited to participate in an urban 20 at an international stage ahead of every other municipality in Canada. And we got invited 
primarily because of our integrated community sustainability plan and some of the work that we're doing at Northumberland County as well as in Coburg. It confirmed that we're on the right path and it also presented a huge learning opportunity for myself and for my CAO to see what is possible around the world, to see what's going on with other cities similar to ours, larger cities, what other people are doing. It also created a huge opportunity to build a network. Um, networking is important, whether it's in business and government, who you know and, and the connections that we have as a city, as the mayor and as the CAO really matter. And this opportunity was huge. We met with major infrastructure developers, major infrastructure hedge funds who have key interests in sustainability projects. We got introduced to people in the IMF at World Bank. We got introduced to people uh, across this spectrum of sustainability, of environmentalism, of circular economy that now know about Coburg. And, and I think that's really important because improving Coburg's profile has been one of my key tenants coming to office and it, because when people know who you are there's a better chance that you can get funding for your different projects when people are aware of how far ahead we are people are aware of what's going on in Coburg and therefore we're going to have visitors coming to Coburg we're, we now know of um, work projects from India that know of Coburg students hundreds of students who are looking for countries and cities to take their engineering skills now know about Coburg and so improving Coburg's profile on the global stage is a really important process. And this is one of the first opportunities Coburg's ever had to do that. That all sounds great. But I guess some people might be sitting back and saying, well, what tangibly is going to happen? What difference does your attendance make to life here in a concrete way and not just shaking hands and going, here's our business card and you know, we'll point you out on the map, here's where we are. Where's something concrete? Give us some examples of the concrete things that are going to come back that are going to benefit the residents here. Well, I think I think it's important, uh, Robert, that we talk about marketing. I, I mean, this is what we're doing here. We're marketing Coburg. And marketing is a hard thing to put tangible numbers to. Um, when you advertise, when you put money behind advertising, when Pepsi goes out and spends millions of dollars on advertising Pepsi, you often don't see those sales for years and years down the road. Marketing is something that has to be ongoing. Marketing has to be something that is consistent. And marketing has to be part and parcel of what Coburg does moving forward. This, when you say what's tangible, well, it's hard to link intangibles right off the bat because, I mean, whether it's uh, federal attention, ministers at the level of Ottawa calling me and going, how did Coburg get to Ottawa? Well, now I'm having conversations with ministers of infrastructure. I'm having conversations with ministers of development. Again, these are conversations that wouldn't have happened directly if I hadn't attended Urban 20. And so when you say, what are the tangibles? Well, the tangibles are, it's a marketing effort. It's about learning. I've come back 10 times more knowledgeable about what we can and we can't do. And as the leader of this town and of the council, that's really important. But when you say what's tangible, I think we need to start taking a longer look at what the job of a mayor is to do. What the job of a mayor is to do is to make sure that the community is in a better place than when they started. So at the end of my four years, I want to ensure that Coburg is in a better place than when I came to office. And 
events like this are exactly what allow that to happen. Because you say what's tangible? What's tangible is thousands of people that didn't know about Coburg now know about Coburg. We are now open to do business. We are now ready to do business with different monetary organizations, different sustainability funds. These people didn't even know we existed before, Robert. And, and I, I mean, bang for your buck, you can't do better marketing than free marketing. And that's what this was. It was an opportunity for me to go and learn and for Coburg as a town to be marketed to the world. I understand you sat on a panel. You and Tracy sat on a panel. Is that correct? Uh, no, I was uh, I was the guest. I, I sat on a panel um, uh, about uh, the circular economy. All right. Tell us about the panel and, and what was said. For sure. So I was asked to present a five to 15 minute presentation on what we at Coburg, Northumberland, and I also brought in Ontario are doing uh, to contribute towards the circular economy. I was a member of five other um, people, three mayors, myself and another individual in the sustainability movement. And what we did is they all shared different variety, different ways uh, that they were encouraging a circular economy at sort of a very municipal local level. Okay, just before you get too in depth, for those of us, again, who may have missed economics class, what is a circular economy? Perfect. That's a great question. It's it's where we, we don't just create products and then not worry about them. The idea of a circular economy is that the products that are created and manufactured have a home and that they're never filling up a landfill. The idea being that when we make things, they're just constantly being reused. This idea of reduce, reuse, recycle to the next level. It, it's, it's the new... I don't want to say catchphrase because it's not a catchphrase, but it's the new goal in our sustainability movement. And maybe if I give an example of how, say, Ontario is creating a circular economy, that might help, or how Northumberland. So what, what we talked about is the local level, I just talked about the ICSP plan and how we're making sustainability part of our governance structure. It's not something separate. And, and I think that's really important when we talk sustainability. We can expand on that. When we talk about the county, what I spoke about was our waste diversion efforts. And that's part of a circular economy. So the idea being that, you know, in, in 2016, Northumberland County was due to have their landfill closed probably around this year. And in 2016, they started a very vigorous waste diversion program through various means. So we could now recycle styrofoams. We created a dual recycling of paper, plastics, the variety. And the idea being that since then, we've reduced our uh, diversion or we've increased our diversion from 30% to 56% and we're on track to 75%. That landfill's still going because we've diverted so much. And what happens is by diverting these recycling into very specific categories, used furniture, used mattresses, et cetera, those products can then be upcycled, recycled, broken down into their parts easier instead of just filling up a landfill. If we go even one step further, Robert, at the province level, we can talk about the producer pays model, which is actually quite revolutionary in terms of the global market. And that's where the government traditionally, and again, I'm just going to back us up a little, traditionally, household waste was the responsibility of the municipality. And industrial waste was the responsibility of the private sector, i.e. you own the store, you have to pay for your garbage to get picked up. What Ontario has been doing since 2016, and we're hoping for full implementation by 2026, is it's a producer paid model. 
meaning the very companies that are producing the waste and the garbage are in a sense now financially responsible for the end of their products. So whether it's paper cups that you produce and then sell to coffee shops, there's now added tax put on those coffee cups based on the ability to recycle and reuse. What the government's doing is they're creating a financial incentive to the producers of waste to make their waste more reusable or easily, more easily broken down or more easily separated. So again, we're looking at that circular economy of making sure the stuff that's produced has a life at the end of it and not as just filling up a landfill on us. What was the reaction of the audience after you finished the panel? Incredible, actually. Um, once I came out of that panel, uh, first of all, I was asked to do an interview, um, uh, a podcast, as well as a written interview for a nationally syndicated magazine in India. So again, when we talk about that marketing, if I hadn't gotten to go to that talk, I wouldn't have been able to give that panel speech, and then I wouldn't have been able to have this. So we're going to have a an article from the mayor of Coburg on a national uh, magazine across India talking about this great town of Coburg and and, and you know, all the opportunities for jobs and work. What also happened is other mayors from some of the major metropolises in the world wanted to talk to me about what we're doing because they were fascinated with how far advanced a town of just 20,000 people is. They wanted to know how is it that our government was able to already have not, an, not only an ICSP plan going, but already have it part and parcel of part of our governance structure and how we're actually operating our government. Again, we're talking to cities like Tokyo and Sydney and Riyadh who are just now understanding what an ICSP plan is, let alone developing one, implementing one, and starting to check the boxes of going through it. You have publicly acknowledged prior to leaving that it was the previous council that did this work. Why were members of the previous council not sent? And people like, say, former uh, Mayor John Henderson or others who were on council then, why you? Oh, because I'm the current mayor and this is a conference for mayors. Uh, it's not a conference for deputies or the only people who are attending this are the mayor and then usually what they call the Sherpa. Now, CAO Vaughn is in no way, shape or form a Sherpa, but that is the terminology they use for the assistant or the helper of the mayoral elect or uh, the elected mayor. So I was invited because I'm the mayor. Um, and, and and the honest truth is, is CAO Vaughn is uh, an incredible networker herself. It's through the work of CAO Vaughn that this opportunity uh, came about for Coburg. And I felt that it was important that she be there to not only have the learning, but also uh, to ensure that my message was on point and that I was doing a good job representing Coburg because she was part of the previous council that did institute this and was able to speak to some of the things that I wasn't able to speak to because of the fact I wasn't in office then. There was a communique released at the end of the U-20 meeting. And because Coburg attended, uh, you were a signatory member endorsing it. What was the takeaway from the document that you felt was most important to you? A really good question. I mean, it's hard to, to break it down, but for me, I have to be focused on sort of the first or maybe even the second point, the idea that sustainability isn't just a topic to be discussed amongst the biggest nations in the world. And sustainability isn't going to be achieved through the prime minister's office and through, um, you know, global G20 events. What the biggest takeaway for me and, and what I think is the most important in the white papers is the idea that 
if we're going to actually reach our sustainability targets, if we're going to reach the environmental agenda of sort of reducing our, our, our emissions, if we're going to protect, you know, climate crisis, if we're going to reduce this, it has to be at the local municipal level. And what, what my biggest takeaway was watching, or even most inspiration was watching all of these incredible mayors understand and communicate and try and communicate with our, our federal leaders or our upper level of governments that guys, we need the money. We need the support because it's at the local level. It's the day-to-day -day actions of individuals, whether they're in Coburg or in Tokyo or in Omnibod. It's making sure recycling is available and accessible. It's it's that local part of it. So what, what my biggest takeaway is, is the messaging to the leaders of the world, of the G20, that Ladies and gentlemen, if you, we want to achieve your sustainability targets, you need to turn around and support your local level of government, your municipal levels to do the job that you want done and not just hand down edicts from the top. So that leads me into my next question, which is how can local governments help world leaders reach the goal of 50% uh, global reduction uh, in terms of meeting their sustainability objectives by 2030, which is only seven years away. Now you talk about, you know, giving resources, but I guess what I'm trying to understand, and I'm sure the listeners are too, is give me an example of, of how that would work locally. Where do we need some money coming down to us? And what's a project that we could be funding that would help reach this 50% global reduction? Perfect. I mean, let's talk about, do you want just like a specific one-off yeah. infrastructure funding? We need increased infrastructure funding. This is not rocket science. Uh, we've seen a downloading of, of funding responsibilities from the feds to the province and now to municipalities. And what we're seeing at the municipal level is an inability. I mean, let's take a very micro example. We need to build affordable housing. That's fair. Building affordable housing is expensive. Building green affordable housing is even more expensive. So this is the kind of conversations. Oftentimes municipalities or say the Northumberland County is at a decision whether do we wanna keep it super affordable or do we wanna make it green? Because oftentimes those two don't sit. So when you're talking about what are the resources, I'm talking about the specific financing opportunities and also watching and looking to the feds and the provinces to work together, not single-handedly fund separate projects at all times. And I'm not blaming any level of government. I'm saying what we need is comprehensive working together levels of government to fund these projects. And again, they can't be just throwing money and hoping for the best. It's about actually giving money to the projects and to the municipalities who have shown a vested interest in sustainability, things like the ICSP. So knowing that a town like Coburg has the ICSP, has these clear objectives, we've stated them, we've put deadlines on them, and then to see that and have the funding back that up. These are the kind of ways that upper level governments can really help municipalities. Another area in the communique where local efforts were emphasized was culture and economy. And a big one was promoting inclusive and equitable local economic development and community wealth building. Right. How do you see that playing out in Northumberland County in your role as our representative at County Council? Wow, that's impressive. So, I mean, first and foremost, I'm going to talk about our workforce housing model. 
I think that's the number one way. And I've been a big proponent since day one, only nine months ago. Uh, I've been working with our uh, economic development team at the, the county, uh, Dan Baroning, for this project. I have been meeting with Minister Tomasi at the federal level uh, to secure funding for it. And again, I'm just going to back up our workforce housing project is a way of Coburg creating housing and affordable housing for people who are going to work in Coburg. I've said this many times in the media. Um, as the mayor of Coburg, I can't afford to live in Coburg. The, the, the local um, housing market here for a one bedroom is in advance of $2,000 a month. And so um, as a single dad, I literally cannot afford to live in Coburg. And so if I can't live to, how come bakers or plumbers or electricians when we look at lakefront utility and we see that they have pro, uh, job listings in six figures that have been open for months, we look at the towns, we look at Port Hope, we look at, we have hundreds of jobs in the six figure range open and available, yet no one is applying because of the fact that you can't necessarily afford to live in this community. Workforce housing is an initiative that has been started to remove housing from an investment tool and instead provide housing for individuals who are going to fill those key jobs to grow our economy. And I understand that uh, this week the uh, county is going to be voting on the first step towards bringing that workforce affordable housing uh, into, into line. Am, am I correct on that? That is correct. It looks like it's finally coming to the council. A lot of work has been put anytime something like this comes to council. The amount of hours and months that have been put into it. So I know the ActDev team at the county have been working just day and night on this, making sure that we're ready to go. Uh, I've got a, a meeting with the minister coming up and, and we wanted to have every all of our ducks in a row for that meeting. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it, it's it's very promising. And it is a another example of this region really thinking outside the box in Ontario. There are examples of workforce housing in Alberta, of which I'm very familiar with from my time out there. And a lot of workforce housing throughout the Spain that, again, I'm also familiar with from living out there. Um, however, it's the first time that I'm aware of that Ontario has developed a workforce housing model. That's one way to look at uh, economic inclusivity. But there's also many other ways to look at inclusivity and equitable um, economic development. And I'm one of the things that is emphasized in the QNUK was the scaling up of local enterprises and tourism infrastructure and also the ability to welcome people who uh, may not be uh, or from outside, from other places and, and bringing them and making them uh, a part of our community, as well as uh, recognizing women in the workforce and equitable treatment of women in the workforce. Can you bring together those ideas uh, because you were there and you probably heard a lot of talk about it? What does all of that mean and, and how does it might it be reflected locally? Well, I, I, I think credit where credit's due on this one, Mr. Washburn. And the, the truth is, is the whole reason I was even invited uh, as the mayor of Coburg to the U-20 was because of the work in our environmental sustainability, but most importantly, our equity, diversity, diversity and inclusion, our EDI work here in Coburg. Um, we are one of the few municipalities in the region that actually have a designated EDI coordinator on staff in our town. Um, further, our staff through the FM, FCM have been sent on uh, missions to Sri Lanka 
specifically our staff, and I'll be heading at one point. I know uh, some of our council will. We've already sent our CAO and our clerk. There'll be about six or seven missions to Sri Lanka paid for, again, fully by the FCM to teach Sri Lankan governments exactly those things you were talking about. Women in the workforce, inclusivity, how to ensure sort of uh, equal representation, how to encourage more tourism, how to ensure the rights of women, girls, minorities are protected in a place like Sri Lanka. So again, hats off to Coburg, the work that's been done previous to my leadership and the work that is still ongoing through this council, we are being recognized on a global scale for exactly what you're talking about. And, and I, I think we should be really proud of that in Coburg. Again, things tend to start snowballing. And what I think we're starting to see here is the work of the last 10 or 15 years of these of this town really pushing the envelope, really trying to do incredible things. And, and that work is now really starting to take off. It started with the FCM Sri Lanka Initiative, it ends with the U20. Since the U20, it looks like we may be getting invited up to New York or sorry, down to New York for um, the UN work in September. There's a possibility of that, if not this year or next year. And so what you're starting to see is you're starting to see that snowball effect. Marketing is exactly what like that. And, and oftentimes your first few ads, you don't see what's happening. But after years and years and years, you've built a brand. And that's what we're doing here in Coburg. We're building a brand. And I think it's important when you say wrap it all up, Coburg already is a leader in women in leadership. Coburg is already a leader in its EDI programs. And so when you say, what can I do is what I can do is keep on the path that we've been on, keep working towards more inclusivity, more diversity, uh, encouraging our EDI coordinator to reach out to the, uh, the indigenous nations around us, Alderville, we have a new chief there, building those relations. And most importantly, you talked about tourism. It's a number one priority. You can see that through our ECDEV work and also our strategic building plan. And I say that because this council has set out some really clear strategies and really clear uh, focus points, one of which being our waterfront and the tourism that that can bring. So I just, I know I sort of touched on a variety of things there and I hope I did it justice, but I just think we need to be really proud of the work Coburg's been doing. So just to be clear, the Sri Lanka trip that uh, staff took earlier this year was paid in full by the uh, FCM, which is the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. Did I understand that correctly? There are a few auxiliary costs. Obviously, we still have staff time when they're they're training. We still have, you know, cell phones so they keep their work local work number. But yes, the majority of the costs, the flights, the accommodations, the food, all that, that is picked up by the FCM. Similarly, most of the costs of this trip to the U-20 were picked up. Flights, uh, food, accommodations. The only cost to the town, again, will probably be the cell phone, the, the $15 a day to have the work cell phone roaming. And I believe, um, yeah, I think that'll be the extent of our, our costs. Again, just for clarity, when you say uh, it was picked up, again, was that by the Federation of Canadian Municipalities? No, in this case, it was by the Urban 20. Because I was a guest speaker on one of the panels, they picked up the whole tab for us to be there. Um, they wanted us to be included. And I'm not sure if that works for all of the Urban 20 invitees or if it's just the guest speakers. But I know that when we were invited, we knew we didn't have the money to go unless it was covered by 
the U20 conference. And the U20 conference, uh, right from the get-go, had offered to pay for that, uh, in condition that, again, I was there to speak on behalf. Well, since we're on the topic, uh, you provided a comprehensive list of courses you have done since being elected in your latest newsletter. Yes, sir. Uh, how much did those courses cost? Oh, I have no idea. Um, I could pull those up for you, Robert, but I didn't have them on hand. Um, uh, the, depending on the organization, most of those are through the AMO, um, and they run anywhere between about $400 to $500 per course, depending on the number of days and the the, 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 the technical knowledge covered. So, I mean, if we're talking about like planning essentials one, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's only a 400, I think a 350 or $400 course. Whereas when you're getting into, um, you know, conflict as an elected leader, it's a two-day course, you have multiple speakers coming in, I think it regs in the $450, $500 range. And again, this is part and parcel. I'm I'm, I'm really proud of the work. I, I, I said this in the election, I was going to uh, dig right in. And, and I was very honest that I didn't have plans because I didn't know what it would take to be an elected leader, as I'd never been in politics. And just like I've done in any new job, the first thing you want to do is you want to spend your first six months working 80-hour weeks and learning everything you can as fast as you can to make sure you know what you're doing, or at least you have an idea of what you're doing. Who paid for those courses? Oh, that's part of the budget, sir. So uh, part of each counselor's budget within our um, yeah our budgetary process, each counselor and the mayor has a certain line for training and improvements. So that all goes under that line. Uh, I'm sure there are listeners who might be saying, why is the town paying for you to take all these courses? Because, you know, the treasurer is just down the hall, the planner's just upstairs. I mean, you can go sit down with them and learn lots and lots. Why, why is it important to you to go to these formal courses? Robert, I, I, I don't usually do this with you, but if we have to explain to individuals why the leader of a corporation has to go through training, that's really not a conversation we should be wasting our time on. I, I mean, if, if we can't understand why a leader of a $30 million corporation needs to upgrade his skill sets, then, then I have more questions for the person asking the question than I do necessarily need to answer that. I mean, that's just common sense. Um, you you want the people leading your community to be as knowledgeable and, and to know as much as they can and to be as relevant. And that's great. We do have a treasurer over there who knows all he needs to know about financial treasury. He doesn't necessarily know what it takes to be a mayor. He doesn't understand what it takes to have co- to, to, to deal with conflict on council or how to planning one-on-one. And again, my job as a council member, and this goes to all of council, our job on council is to be knowledgeable on a variety of topics so that we can make decisions for the betterment of our community. And so uh, I would actually turn around and go, why aren't we spending more to educate our counselors? Why aren't we spending even more? I've, during the budget process, fought for more money for training for our counselors. I want them to go to more conferences. I want them to see and get outside of the Coburg bubble to see that Coburg is not that different in a lot of ways than countries, uh, than cities all around the world. And you realize that when you go to these conferences, you you realize and you gain a perspective. And perspective is really, really important when you're a leader. And I think uh, I'm really proud of the work our council has already done. I know we're, we're going, a lot of us are going to the AMO and they're spending their money to, to go to the different conferences and learn because this is what we want out of leadership. And, and I, as I said, I don't mean to dismiss your question. I just, I'm, 
I'm getting a little more comfortable in my role. And, and sometimes questions aren't really even worth being answered. And I think in this case, that's kind of the, the situation is that, of, of course, we want leaders to learn. Who doesn't want a most knowledgeable mayor we can have? What can listeners look forward to in the upcoming days and weeks as you move forward with some of the things you hope to implement from your trip to the U-20? Oh, in terms of implementation from the trip, uh, it'd be hard because, again, when we look at what council's objectives were, when we look at sort of the strat plan that's coming out and what we're focusing on, while sustainability is through and throughout it, what we've heard from our, our, our constituents is much different than necessarily what we heard at the India conference. And so what do we have to do is we have to balance that. We have to go, okay, well, most of Coburg isn't necessarily worried about a circular economy right now. Fair. What they're concerned about is what are we doing about the waterfront? What are we doing about homelessness? What are we doing about, right? Like these are the, the subjects that the, the, the community want us to address. And so be it. And that's what council is going to be addressing. What we can sort of wrap the India conference into is while we're addressing these concerns, how can we also be? sustainable? How can we also work towards a circular economy? And I think that's where this sort of importance is, is because it shouldn't be sustainability as just this project we do outside of everything. What we need to do is bring that into it while we're working towards a reduction in homelessness, do it in a sustainable manner. While we're working to encourage tourism and, and increase, increase our beach traffic, do it through a sustainable practice. And so that's where I, I think that I come back from this trip with that sort of perspective to understand that, okay, this is the same problem everyone's dealing with. All of the cities around the world are facing very similar issues as Coburg. We're not special or unique in a lot of ways. We are great things about us, but our problems are very similar to what most of the, 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 the world is having. And so while we address our problems, we have to do so in a sustainable way for future generations. Because as I said, we want to leave our town in a better place than we found it upon our election. Lucas Cleveland, thank you so much for talking to me today. Robert, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. That was Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland. The mayor did provide the figures. He spent about $1,500 on four training courses given by the Association of Municipalities of Ontario. He has taken a total of 13 courses since his election. He has a budget of $12,500 for conferences and conventions. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.